the nature of your emergency. Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living podcast, as well as those over on our YouTube channel. We are so happy to have you here with us this morning. We have Miss Bridget Trujillo on for our interview this morning. Bridget, we've had you on our show before, but there are a lot of updates in the legal world. So thank you so much for coming on to our show again. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I can't believe it's been, I think it's been like you're at least a year and a half, or was it? Has it been two? I can't remember. The COVID time like messed everything up when it comes to engaging stuff like that for me. I know. Me too. Now, sure. Richard was a former deputy sheriff, patrol, undercover narcotics, and SWAT. And I know you experienced harassment, discrimination, hostile work environment, and retaliation. And mm-hmm. you understand what it's like to feel overly scrutinized by the chain of command, as I know a lot of other officers do as well. Mm-hmm. And with that, you know what it's like to not have anybody to trust and to turn to. And, you know, I, I know in our last interview, we had talked about um, your transition into law. We could, we could touch on that a little bit just for anybody not familiar. But um, you created Lady Law Shield Law Firm, and you are now practicing as an attorney and no longer a deputy sheriff. So thank you so much for coming on to our show this morning. Now, before we get into it, we are giving away... Bridget has a free 15-minute intake call if anybody wants to contact her with any of your legal questions. And we're also giving away a really cool don't tread on me and first responder flag knife. But if nobody wins, then I'm going to just order for myself because it's really badass. So drop your questions down below. And also, if anybody wants to get in touch with Bridget, she's in our Facebook group. So Bridget, can you tell us a little bit about that transition into law? Yeah. So. Relatively short time in law enforcement, um, four and a half years. But in that four and a half years, I went from patrol to undercover narcotics, where I was, I was in undercover narcotics for about three years. So I, I joke and say that I bought crack for a living, but really I bought a lot of crack. Um, and then shortly after I got in the narcotics unit, I was put, um, I made SWAT teams. So I think it was right around the time actually they put me on, well, they, they transferred me to the narcotics unit. I tried out for SWAT team. It took them about three months to put me on. And I found out later the reason why that took them three months is because my SWAT commander didn't want me on the team. And I, how do I know that? Because he explicitly told me that three different occasions over the two and a half or so or more years I was on SWAT team. Uh, third time I looked at him and said, you know, I really heard you the first two times and turned around and tried to not let them see me react. But anyway, the, you know, you expect that being the only female member of a SWAT team would have, you know, it's expected issues. But when I first got on the team, I thought, oh, this isn't so bad. They're not saying anything. I thought they would just be just verbally abusive from the get go. You, you know, you suck. You shouldn't be here. <clears throat> this is not for girls like they, but they weren't. They seemed to be respectful. And I thought, okay, there's an opportunity here I, that I, was hoping for anyway. Well, over the time, it just wasn't that way. They, I never got opportunities to do the things on the team that the other guys got to do. Um, and also while continually getting in trouble for every single slight misstep or mistake that I ever made. And at first, and I think a lot of people can resonate with this at first, it was, oh, okay, well, I made a mistake. 
you know, you're right. I did a bad, I'm, I'll do better. I'll do better. Tomorrow's a new day. I got this. And then the next time is, oh, okay, you're right. I made a mistake. I, I know it. I, I got this. I can do better. And then, but after about two years of it, I was like, all right, now, like, I can't be the only one making mistakes because nobody else is getting written up. Nobody else is getting another letter in their file. And nobody else is getting 500 mountain climbers for that mistake. And nobody else is getting, you know, another six months of probation or whatever it was, 90 days. And so finally, I, I asked for, I went to my lieutenant. There's like a, an event that was sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back where like one of our team leaders and sergeants, like SWAT team leaders and like also my sergeant in narcotics, he made a mistake where if I had made that mistake, I would have been, I mean, they would, it just would have been awful and everybody would have known about it. And it would have been such a big deal. And I would have been counseled and what, who knows, um, but not, one, nobody said anything to him about it. Not one single word. So finally I went to my Lieutenant and I said, look, I'm not asking for better treatment. I'm just asking for equal treatment. And he basically said, don't make it worse for yourself. <sighs> and I'm like, wait, what? And what he explicitly said is don't make a problem for yourself where there's not one. I said, well, that doesn't even make sense, but let me just repeat myself. <laughs> it's like, maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. Anyway, he ended up going back and telling my team that I was trying to rat out one of my own teammates and they were calling me a snitch and a rat behind my back. And when I found that out, I was, I was done. I found it out a couple of weeks later and I was like, we were actually at a social gathering with some people. One of the, one of the guys on the team told me, and I had to leave. I was literally got in my car to drive home. I was crying so hard. I didn't even know if I could drive home. I remember calling my mom and saying, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't keep fighting this battle for no reason. And what I learned from that is, <clears throat> and we all have, if you've been on this planet long enough, is it doesn't matter what other people think of you, as long as you know, you're doing the right things, as long as you have the right level of integrity and you're doing, you're doing, you're doing what you know is right. It doesn't matter if nobody else, if they don't um, acknowledge, you know, your greatness or whatever it still sucks though. So anyway, I left and went to law school. And didn't really know what I wanted to do with that because it wasn't my plan. I thought I was going to be in law enforcement my entire career, my professional life. And like if I was still in, I'd be retiring about now. Um, but then practice as a lawyer. I also, in the meantime, moved several times for my now husband. I moved to Texas. That was never my plan. Then we moved to New York City. Then we moved back. And <clears throat> ultimately, I was still practicing as a lawyer. But about four years ago, I decided like, I hated the law firm life. I was tired. I was working for crappy supervisors is not exclusive to law enforcement, unfortunately. <clears throat> so I decided finally about four years ago, I said, this is crap. I can't do this anymore. Life's too short. I want to just work for myself because I'm a good leader. And even, you know, even it's just personal leadership. And so I started my own law firm and it has evolved into what I do now, which is I can do litigation. I've worked in litigation for a really long time, but really what I do is I provide law enforcement and first responders with the answers they need when they're facing the things that I, I, I faced myself. And that doesn't always mean going to trial. It means I just help you figure out, is there something you need? To, first of all, do you have a case? And should you do something about it? And where to start and give you the answers you need? Because I had no one I felt like I could trust to turn to. Certainly I'm dating myself. Facebook groups weren't a thing then. Um, I can't even remember that social media platform that was the precursor to Facebook. Like MySpace? Yes, MySpace. <laughs> um, 
I wasn't even on that. I mean, anyway, so this this type of support that you have or the community that you have, this didn't exist. And mm -hmm. so you either talked to somebody local or you didn't talk to anybody at all. And I didn't have anybody local I felt like I could talk to. So ultimately I quit. And I don't regret that because I can help now in a way that I think is very beneficial. The only thing I regret, which is what I stand for to, to help and to convince people to do is you must report it. You must say something to somebody if this is something you're facing because, and we can get into it. It just has, it has mental health repercussions if you don't stand up for yourself in, in lots yeah. of different ways. So that's, that's a very long answer of how I got from being on SWAT team and buying crack for a living to having my own law firm. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I'm not sure what that comment means. I only speak English. Maybe maybe that's a, a legal term that I'm not familiar with. So give me some help there. Good morning. Very interesting conversation. That sounds familiar with things that go on in the fire service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, now Bridget, you lightly touched on it, but your take on all things legal as it pertains to first responders is something incredibly unique that I haven't seen anybody else talk about before. And you believe that mental health and understanding um, the legal support that somebody can have go hand in hand. So talk a little bit about that. Well, like I said, I mean, I, I know it because I lived it. I, I know. And like you say, the, the fire service, I mean, it's, it's, it's exists in all aspects of the first responder world. And it's, again, like I said, Dealing with harassment, discrimination, retaliation, hostile work environment, all of that is not ex unique to the first responder world. And yet, when you are, the, we all know this job is very unique with its own extreme stressors. And so when you add a legal issue on top of it, it's just that more all consuming. And so that's where I believe that having somebody like me to turn to, like I literally, it took me a while. I started out, I left law firm life. I started something more on the wellness side. I still have it. It's a um, wellness training course, but through trying to get that off the ground and talking, and I really believe that getting legal help is truly a mental health tool. Um, I had more and more people reaching out to me on the legal side. So my, I always intended to have a law firm, but I wanted to do it just in a specific, a very specific way, meaning <clears throat> I don't want to be your trial lawyer. But I also don't think, I mean, I also know because I did it for a long time that 98% or more of cases never actually go to trial. Now, you might have to prep it that way. You might have to have a, an attorney, and I can always advise on all of that later. But I, there's so much that comes before that. So that's where I think I was the person who was suffering. I was the person who felt like I had no one I could trust. I was in a union, but I didn't feel like I could reach out to my union rep for help because, unfortunately, he was just one of the guys that was... I, I never like I felt like if I had gone to him, he just would have, you know, that would have been another rumor, another thing for them to try and attack me for. So I didn't say anything to anybody. And even when I was given an explicit opportunity by my captain, he could tell it was like just constantly, like I said, coming after me, writing me up, just punishing me left and right. And silly things like I made a mistake. And so instead of getting to go home at one or two o'clock in the morning when our shift was over, well, in the narcotics unit, <clears throat> they made me take this giant RV, go wash it. And the only place to wash it was like 20 minutes away. Well, I'd never driven an RV before. And so when I was driving out of the compound, I'd nicked the taillight on like the, the gate as I was leaving our compound. So the next morning I come, I get to work and they had written, up, written me up as a crash, like a crash report. So it was like, I couldn't win for losing. So that even then my captain told them like, well, first of all, why is Bridget driving an RV at two o'clock in the morning? Second, 
why did you do that? It's like if she did something wrong. So he literally said to them, like, you guys need to lay off Bridget for a little while. So my captain came to me and said, Bridget, is there anything you'd like to talk to me about? And I said, nope, because I thought at the time, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make them push me to that point. I want them to value me as an operator. I want them to respect me as a, as a law enforcement officer. But I mean, insert anything, firefighter, EMT, dispatch, insert the title. And ultimately what I learned is my efforts weren't because I was, I mean, I just showed up, I worked, tried so hard and ultimately it just didn't matter. And so I was just felt crushed. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening to this, that if you haven't felt that in your job as a first responder, you just haven't been a first responder long enough, sadly. Um, there's not enough leadership training in the first responder field or in the employment field because I've experienced it in law firms too. That was like stopped me in my tracks when I was at my first law firm. And one day one of the guys did something real stupid. And just, it just, it was a guy and it wasn't a sexual thing. He's just a horrible leader. And he told me to do something and I did it because I'm a really great employee. And then that was the wrong thing to do. And so our boss, our big boss got mad. I was like effectively yelling at all of us in an email. And I expected him to stand up and say, oh no, no, that like I told Bridget to do that. Oh no. He let me take the fall. And it literally, I remember like, I was on my Blackberry or something back when Blackberries were the thing. Like, <laughs> what? I remember like thinking, wait, what? Like, he, th it happens here too? Like, I left law enforcement for no reason. Just kidding. I left for a good reason. But um, my point being that you're going to face it in this job. You face so many stressors and you don't leave the job of the first responder, the same person you went in because you just see too many things, too many horrific, too much bad, too much evil. And that takes pieces from you, which is also why a strong wellness routine is so important. But when you also face something internally and you don't know what to do and you need help and you don't know who to turn to, if you don't say something, this is what I'm here for. Call me, make a, let's make a call. <clears throat> the first level of working with me is me evaluating your entire case and then me telling you what to do about it. Because I can't give you my legal opinion unless I've reviewed everything. And then I say, no, this is crap. This is where you need to start. I even make you send me like send me your employee policies that, that apply in this situation. Let me look at that. And then I say, no, here's where you start. Here's what you're going to do. And then and then I'm your cheerleader because it's going to doesn't always get easier. And I'll say, nope, they can't do that either. Here's what you can do. Here's how you make a record of that. Here's who you should tell. Because if you're not if you don't do that, you end up giving even more of yourself away to the job. And I promise you, because I know from experience that it, I didn't do that. And like I said, I don't regret leaving because now I can help in this way. But also I know that it took me at least 13 years or more, closer to 15, to really let it go, to let go, mm -hmm. to let go of the story, to let go of the angst and the anger I had over it. And, and, and even realize like, wait, I'm the one that's hanging on to this. I'm the one that's still telling myself this story about what happened. And it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, I'm, I have my own law firm. I can help in this way. I have Thankful. I mean, honestly, if that hadn't happened, maybe I wouldn't have met my, I wouldn't have met my now husband. I wouldn't have my three beautiful children. I wouldn't have the life that I'm able to create for myself now. So through the crap comes greatness. I mean, just consider the crap fertilizer um, for what you're going to grow. Um, so what it is and a very important wellness tool to get legal help 
which is why I provide help in the way that I do, meaning there are lawyers who will come in on the back end, do just the litigation part and help you with the, the trial or whatever. But there, to me, there's so much more that comes before that. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you can do, understanding what you're going through, knowing that you're going to need the encouragement and the help to to stick with it. I have clients who will text me regularly and say, I just don't know if I can do this. I just don't know. I mean, even seeing this guy stress, you know, like I, my anxiety takes over again and I can't deal with it. And I'm like, no, 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 you can do this. Let's just one step at a time. And that, and that's how I help move that forward. So it really, really is, as you are, to me, it's just as important as, I mean, not just important, but it's a wellness tool in the sense that so is exercise and so is sleep and so is proper nutrition. And so is meditation and yoga. And I mean, all those little pieces all matter for your overall, overall wellness and knowing what to do to stand up for yourself is a very important piece of your mental health. Yeah. And I loved when you said that having something legal and the the pressure and the stress that comes with that is like giving more of yourself to the job. Like that was so, so spot on. What are some of the common, um, just the common legal problems that you're seeing right now in the realm of first responders. Sadly, still very common is the uh, harassment, discrimination, um, definitely retaliation, um, hostile work environment. So retaliation in the sense of, I'm trying to think of some examples. So, I mean, obviously retaliation, meaning that you say something, you report something, and then it gets worse for you after. Here's an example. And it's not always that you're reporting or saying something about you. Um, I have a at a consult the other day where it's a firefighter who was used as a witness in a sexual harassment case against a chief. So somebody else had reported sexual harassment. And I actually have a client who was who we're getting we're working on her sexual harassment claim. And she has a sergeant who's willing to be a witness for her to which is strange. Not, Not many people will even when they know something's wrong, they are too scared to lose their job to, to help out. And I don't, I'm not blaming those people for that because it's a fact. And so then he basically spent the last years of his career where he'd spent, you know, coming on 30 years as a firefighter. And now that chief just retaliated against him constantly. So he's going out feeling deflated, sad, defeated because he all he did, and it wasn't even. He basically, they said you have to come be a witness for us, and he said okay. He didn't even go on his own to report it. He just was doing what he was told, and now sadly he's finishing his career. Um, and what he feels like is a down note. And it's very emotional for him. Again, this is dealing with these kinds of things <clears throat> are very mentally taxing and emotional. I don't have clients that come to me who aren't in tears, men and women. Um, Hostile work environment. I think this one is important for people to understand. What I described in my situation is hostile work environment. It is a series of events that when put together show a pattern of harassment or discrimination that is not as explicit as saying, I don't like you because you're a girl. Now, here's the thing too, you got to memorize. I mean, no. And memorize. Someone can say, I don't like you. That's not illegal. They cannot say, I don't like you because you're a girl. I don't like you because you're white. I don't like you because you're Jewish. I don't like you because you're old and you should quit already. They can't. Those are, prote- those are what are called protected classes. I don't like you because you're a Republican. Right. I don't like you because <laughs> you like whomever. I mean, they, well, honestly, they can't say that about being a Republican. Um, really? Class. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't advise that because <laughs> I think bringing, well, I don't advise doing that, but um, no, that's free speech. You can say that. Hmm. Um, I know somebody just said, what? That's just correct. Saying I don't like you because you're a Republican. Is well, the flip a- side is that we can say, well, fuck you. I don't like you because you're a leftist, right? Right. right. And that's free speech. Hmm. Uh, Second Amendment. So, I mean, freedom of speech. Anyway. It is a protected constitutional right. And that is that goes that's a very strong protection, freedom of speech. So. um, So going back to hostile work environment is a pattern of events where they say it was a well, we're writing you up constantly. Well, you made mistakes. Yes, but you didn't write any. You're not writing anybody else up and you can bring lots of. And I always tell my clients in those situations, like you've got to go write down everything you can think of where. A, the opposite, like whether you know, if, if you're a female and the guys aren't getting in trouble, if you're mm-hmm. black and the white people aren't getting in trouble or Hispanic or whatever. And it could be white people saying, look, I'm the only one not I'm the only one not giving, being given opportunities. I'm the only one not advancing. It can be that that's a much harder battle to fight. Um, but uh, and then you, you, you know, specific examples. And I had a, my client again. She had an explicit sexual harassment with her chief. She reported it. One week later, she was fired because they said she shouldn't have been gossiping about the chief, except that the gossiping included a sexual harassment statement. He explicitly said to her and it was a, it was recorded. So Taylor is just so silly about the things that they say. Um, but hostile work environments, they use it as a pretext like, well, you made a mistake and just constantly berate, berate, berate you know, push you out, end up end up making you quit like I did. Mm-hmm. But that is technically still a termination and you can file an EEOC complaint or the state equivalent, depending on where you live, um, based on hostile work environment saying you were terminated, but even though you quit, it's, it's a de facto termination. So, um, the other one I get, unfortunately a lot, we were talking about it a little bit earlier is, well, just you and I, um, the Brady Giglio list. So Brady and Giglio, two different cases, U.S. Supreme Court decisions that ultimately have to do with the rights of a defendant in trial. Um, and and I believe that we should protect say, people's rights in a trial. If there is a requirement that if there is information that should be turned over to help you prepare your defense, it's required to be turned over. It's called exculpatory evidence. That exculpatory evidence can include if one of the cops working on your case is untrustworthy, lied about evidence used. It's supposed to be more about lied about evidence used to bring about the charges that you are defending yourself against now. It's not supposed to be something that like you lied about something on your application. Now, depending on what that is, but what's happened is even though those are federal cases that are are required to be um, applied across the country, Every state gets to decide how or what that is, how that is used. Mm-hmm. So they can put you on something called a Brady Giglio list, meaning, and it's usually the prosecutor, it's the prosecutor who does it, put you on this list saying you're a lion cop. And this, is, this only applies to cops, not firefighters or EMT or dispatch. Um, and they put you on this list. They send it out in most cases to 
state prosecutors do it this way. They send it out, they'll send it out to every defense attorney in the jurisdiction saying, we will not be using this cop is it for any reason because they, they're not trustworthy, basically. Mm-hmm. Then you get fired because you can't, how can you do your job if they could never use any case that you bring? Well, unfortunately, they use it in a way, in a political way. So if you get mad, like you ran against the sheriff and you lost, and somehow then you you managed to appear on the Brady Giglio list, there's a case that exists where a guy showed that he ran against his political opponent, lost, ended up getting put on the Brady Giglio list, got fired. He was able to sue and prove that that was a retaliatory measure, got back pay, won a lawsuit. Now, those are rare. Those are hard. It's hard to win that. But the really the down, what's really awful about the Brady Giglio list is unless there are state laws mandating how that is used, the state attorney can do it any way they want. They don't have to give you notice. They don't even have to tell you you're on the list, but you'll get like one guy, I left a job or moved on, couldn't get another job, ended up finding out from a reporter who called his house one day saying, hey, what's it feel like to, you know, be on a Brady Giglio list? And he said, what are you talking about? And mm. so he had no idea he was even on a list, had no idea that's why he couldn't get a job, had no idea why his life has been financially ruined. In most cases, everybody that's in this situation has to cash out their retirement you know, to, just to live life. Um, there's almost no way to get off the list <clears throat> unless that's what I do. That's where I come in. I try and help you get off the list, but it's a, it's a multi-tiered layered approach over not one, not one email, but multiple to multiple people, um, including contacting your local legislatures that your local representatives to your state representatives, not federal to make them aware of what's happening, to make to try and get them to to help enact legislation in your state, where at least you should get be given notice of being on the list. You should give be given an opportunity for an appeal to clear your name if it's unjustly. I've seen people put been used. I have people local to me who have been put on a Brady Giglio list because they made the the prosecutor mad. So then they opened up some special investigation about this cop they made up because they weren't even supposed to do that. And then they went way back and like found something from like 17 years ago, um, something on his resume that didn't exactly match up that wasn't accurate. Not, not, not blatant lie, just wasn't completely accurate. First of all, that's so far back, you wouldn't even be allowed to use that in trial. Second, it doesn't show that the person's a liar. Third, it has absolutely nothing to do with the job that the cop is doing now and the, and the charges that he brings or the cases that he's bringing to the prosecutor's office. And yet he can't get off the list. So it's catastrophic in the moment. And yet I still come, I come up with a plan where I say, this is what we're going to do. Multi-tiered, like I said, many over usually about a six month period to try and get off the list um, to what I call sort of rehab the your, your credibility. Um, when, you know, in most cases, like, yeah, I agree. You never, your, your credibility never should have been an issue. And yet once this happens, you still have to do what you can do to get off if you want to stay in law enforcement. Um, so yeah, that's the sad, I get that. That's probably 50% of my practice is helping officers across the country, uh, dealing with a Brady Giglio issue. It's, 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 it's sad. And, and they're just so crushed. But again, that's why reaching out to somebody who can help is a mental—it is a mental health tool. And just figuring out every person, especially with the Brady Giglio issue, every person that calls me feels so defeated. Feel every time it's 
you know, my, my relationship is breaking down. I am such a bad place. They, they were like super, super depressed or worse. Um, they're, they've lost all their money. I mean, that just last week I was talking with a client said, I just feel like my family's falling apart. I feel like I'm about to lose my whole family. I, you know, financially I'm in ruin. I don't even know where to turn. And so it's, it's heartbreaking, but that's where, but there are people who want to help like me. And even if you just pay that first level of working with me, where I'm just, I'm not telling, I'm not going to, I don't have to do it for you. I'm just telling you what your options are. I'm telling you what you should do. I'm telling you if, yes, you can do something and here's what you can do. Go start now. And just knowing what those, what knowing what to do is I think helps so much. Yeah. I can use exculpatory evidence against some folks. I know. Yeah. I think we all could. Good morning. Good morning. A true blacklist governments love making lists. Now, Bridget, I know we're running out of time, but how does somebody know if they're on that list? Sadly, they don't have to tell you. Um, there are a few states who have legislation on how this is used. Uh, you know, another sad part about this is just like um, a lot of first responders um, have qualified immunity for, to protect you if you're sued. It doesn't prevent the lawsuit. It just means here, here's the thing about qualified immunity. Qualified immunity means if they sue you and it applies, you're automatically out of the case. It's like, don't pass go, don't collect $200. If qualified immunity doesn't apply to you, that just means you're going to have to be in the lawsuit a little bit longer. It doesn't mean you're automatically guilty and sent to prison. No, it just means you're going to have to fight this lawsuit a little bit longer. At the end of the day, unless you've done something so egregious, that's on somebody died and it was your fault. We've all seen those videos of egregious things. Absent that, you're going to get more than likely get dismissed from a case because you they want to get money. They now this is not a criminal case. If you're being indicted by the government for your actions, like as a first responder or law enforcement, that's criminal. That's different. I'm talking about civil. They're suing you in civil court because they want money. They're going to sue the city, the department, you. They're going to just, that's what I call throwing the spaghetti at the wall. And they're just going to see what sticks. But ultimately, they want the deep pockets. And the deep pockets is not you. So that's just a sidebar about qualified immunity. Um, but prosecutors have prosecutor prosecutorial immunity, which means you can't sue them for putting you on a list when you shouldn't be there because it's really hard to overcome prosecutorial immunity. That's why you take a different approach to this. Sometimes there is underlying harassment discrimination at a client out of South Dakota who <clears throat> somehow the state attorney up there is a, the state attorney over the entire district who's only been an attorney for three years, which is really scary. But also between the chief and this DA, um, it, there is an underlying harassment discrimination issue. And so there was a lawsuit for that, which we we're saying that the Brady Giglio was just a pretext for that. So sometimes there is underlying issues beyond just the DA being a turd. Um, wait, what was your question? I got a sidebar by qualified immunity. I get excited oh, about just stuff. just about that list. Like it, it, it boggles my mind yeah, that there's this invisible list and you don't right. know when you're on it and there's you can't figure states. out who you are. There's a couple of states that do have to tell you by state legislation, they have to give you an opportunity to defend yourself. But there's no states that say, OK, but if you come out and this was wrong, the prosecutors sanctioned. Nope. Now, you can always if you win that, you could always then report to the state bar. 
um, except if they're a federal lawyer, they they don't have to be part of the member of the state bar. So, so would it be like like somebody feels like they're getting shunned and all the doors are starting to close? Like that might be the the inclination that perhaps you're on this list. Yeah, because even if in today's world we all know, and and I'm sorry to exclude firefighters, but I mean, well, even in the firefighter, the, the world of first responders is understaffed. We all know that. Um, particularly law enforcement is understaffed. And so if you're trying to transfer lateral, move to another, whatever, and you can't get a job, there are examples of you've done, like, let's say you got fired for something. Maybe what you got fired for was just so stupid that you're too hot to touch. But that's pretty rare that you wouldn't be able to find a job anywhere um, because everybody's understaffed. We all know that they're lowering standards. There's like, they're, they're lowering standards to get people in. They're playing their people are paying sign up bonuses. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so much different now than it was. So much ten. for defund the police, right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> if you just can't get a job, I mean, that would be another like call me and we can talk about it because I can give you tips on maybe try to, how to find that out. You can, but certainly it's calling the, I don't really want to say call the prosecutor's office and say, Hey, am I on some kind of list? But certainly to, if you can't get a job to reach out to the people who are saying no and ask why, because they don't have to tell you, but they probably will. They'll say, Oh yeah, there was that thing in your file or, um, or that we heard that you were on some list or one of my clients is that there was a reference in an internal affairs investigation to an email from a prosecutor. So then they asked for the email and the email said my the, this guy was not in an advertised Brady Giglio list, just on an internal database because it was such a catch-22. He he was investigated by internal affairs. It impacted his availability to show up for a trial. So he told the DA, I'm having a, I'm, I might not be able to get there because I'm on some suspended right now, but I'll still show. So it, it was, and they said, well, if you're suspended, then we're going to put you, then that worries us. And we're going to put you on this internal Brady Giglio database. It wasn't ever advertised. It's not to the point where they told defense counsel about it. And yet he can't get a job because there's a reference to an email that the sheriff's office, that his agency still produces, which they don't have to, because it's not their document. Anyway. <clears throat> so if you're applying and it's deny, 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 I mean, my clients who have been on Brady Giglio list, uh, generally have applied to 20 or more jobs and have gotten all no's. There's something wrong there and you need to figure out why. Yeah. Or okay. If you, have, if you have cases in court, who prosecuted them? The department should know if you are, if you lied on the stand or in your report, the prosecutor tells the department and my department will shit can you. Yeah. Clint and I were just talking about that. Like a lot of departments have stronger standards than anything that the state or the federal government imposes. We were just talking about that because, um, in the state of California, there we have a similar list here where if you're an, a shit a shithole police officer, it's made public, and we spent all this money to be able to do that, and now to save like thirty one point eight million dollars a year, I guess the governor wants to roll back on making that list public. So, yeah, th this is very um, informative and not something that I even knew existed. And it sounds like there is a, a silent blacklist as a whole. But as you said, there's also these um, these sort of gentle, even more silent lists within departments, I would imagine within mm -hmm. communities, like people talk, right? So 
what do you do as a, as a last question here? I know we need to wrap this up. What do you do in order to help to prevent against some of this retaliation? <clears throat> Specifically, well, retaliate. That's okay. That's broad. I can answer that in so many ways, but um, if someone's feeling the way you felt as an officer or as a first responder, what is, what is your first line of defense? What is that typically the advice that you give to them? Well, I say this <clears throat> not because I'm an attorney who could potentially make money, but also I could make a lot more money as a lawyer if I really just stuck to like the litigation side. But like I said, I believe there's so much more that comes before. I know because I've done litigation for 15, over 15 years, or I've been in the litigation world, that there's so much more that comes before that. That I also, because I said, I know that you need, you want answers, you want help. Maybe you do end up wanting to sue for it. And that's, I can help get you there too. <clears throat> so I have clients who I, <clears throat> sorry, the, <clears throat> if you are facing that, I definitely suggest, whether it's me or somebody else, that you talk to a lawyer about it because it's important that you use specific phrases and specific statements and 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 specific like terms of art to trigger the protections that you need. Like I said, they can say, I don't like you, but they cannot say, I don't like you because you're a girl on the SWAT team and you shouldn't be here. They cannot do that. So when they start to do things, or like, this can even apply to like if you're going on maternity leave and they're giving you a hard time about that, or you're coming back from maternity leave, or if you're if you've been injured um, and you're on workers' comp somehow, mm -hmm. there's all different ways where if it's if they're if they're taking action because of those things, your gender, your religion, your a, a medical issue, including having a baby, they can't do that. So you need to talk to a lawyer, and that's why I offer this entry level consultation, where I just say they can't do that. Here's why. This is what you need to do. And you can go from there. Then there's a, there's a second level where I, and I, a lot of people hire me for that first part and they say, okay, yeah, then I'll pay you for the second thing because then I, I write it for you. Even if I don't like file a notice of appearance and do it as a, like your actual lawyer, I write it for you. You take it, you file it because it's very important that you trigger protections. And there's case law, there's state law that says <clears throat> you have to make it known. You have to report it as a specific violation of a protected class before your agency is um, put on notice that they have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they do anything about it. doesn't mean they investigate like they're supposed to because they're dum-dums. But, but you've done what you need to do to trigger it because then when you do an EEOC claim and you and they start to investigate it, they see that you did everything you were supposed to do and then they drop the ball, which happens a lot. They don't too many departments don't really investigate or you have one little HR person who decides, no, I don't think we need to investigate this, which is so dumb. If you get any agency gets a report of sexual harassment or discrimination, any of these hostile work, I'll just, I don't need to keep saying them all to bore you, but you should investigate it. <clears throat> and if it's, this should be very obvious. If it involves the chief, then you should not have the chief involved in the investigation. He shouldn't be the one, he or she shouldn't be the one deciding if there should be an internal affairs investigation about that or an investigation at all. It should be out of the chief's hands and better yet, a third party. It's not hard to get third parties to do the investigation for you. It's not expensive. That's what every city should do. So when I have, I have two clients from the same city that I am going to be involved in their litigation because it's in Texas where I am, 
that we are specifically going to fight, uh, sue the city and the city manager and the human resources director because they dropped the ball, of course, and the chief. They dropped the ball so severely on two different occasions. Women reported sexual harassment. They were both fired within weeks of reporting it, never investigated it. So my advice, my first step is to go back to it is call me. If I can't help you, I can also, I've been, I've been an attorney a long time. I've been handled cases in many states in the country. And if I can't be the attorney that you need, like from a litigation perspective, I can find you one. Cause I also try really hard to find what I call culturally competent attorneys, meaning they either have experience helping people like us, or they used to be one of us, which is pretty rare. It's kind of rare to find attorneys that are ex-cops or firefighters or whatever. Um, so I definitely recommend getting attorney's help first, at least if all you do is just get that base level understanding, what do I need to know to do this? And then and then go for it or think about it or whatever. But it's just so important that if you're going to do something about it, to make sure you're triggering the right protections from the get-go. Okay. I think a lot of this is department specific due to the environment created by the leadership. 1000%. Now I know we're wrapping this up, Bridget, but um, does it matter what state somebody lives in if they want to contact you? No, because like I said, what I do is evaluate because these are federal protections. Even if you have a state equivalent, like I said, I live in Texas, there's the federal protections against harassment, discrimination, all that kind of stuff. Then there's a state equivalent where basically the state law mirrors the federal law. I don't need to know your state law because if this is what you're facing, you don't need state law. You could just file it in federal court anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, like I said, I've helped. I mean, I've, I have clients in Washington, South Dakota, um, Illinois, definitely Texas. I, I'm getting ready. I think somebody that's on a Brady Giglio list uh, out of New York had somebody call me from New Jersey because my goal is to give you the answers you need. And like I said, if you need to file something in court, I am licensed in four states, but um, I'm still not going to do that. I'm not going to file a case for you outside of Texas because I don't live there. So I can help you get to where you need to. Like one guy had an issue of underlying retaliation because of um, uh, um, PTSD. PTSD is covered under, in most states, is covered as a workers' comp-related injury for first responders. So he has that underlying retaliation, but he also just needed somebody to help him with the workers' comp part act effectively first. So another one, don't do that by yourself. Don't do a workers' comp claim by yourself because, and here's what's important, you don't pay out of pocket with a workers' comp attorney up front. If any, if you ever call anybody for a workers' comp claim and they want to charge you a consultation fee, then most states that's illegal. They cannot charge you anything up front. You only pay your workers' comp attorney after the judge or the the, the hearing officer approves your payment and has to approve what the attorney gets paid. So don't ever do it by yourself because it is an intricate, complicated process once you get it going. Let a workers' comp attorney help you. But this guy from New Jersey called me, had some interior internal retaliation issues, but first he had a bigger workers' comp. So I I didn't even do anything for it. I immediately got off phone with him, contacted a guy out of New Jersey who helps first responders with workers' comp claim. And the same day I connected them and he's getting the help he needs. So like that's my goal. My goal is just to help you get what you need, give you the answers you need, whether it's me doing it for you or not. Um, hopefully you don't really need me and I can connect you with somebody. But um what if PTSD isn't considered workers' comp? Um, sorry, no, I'm not. That's your job to read the comments, but I want to answer. 
So um, you, you missed the one where it says such good info here. This has been incredibly valuable. Yeah, but yes, thanks. please continue. So if PTD isn't covered as workers' compensation, I still would recommend you talk with a medical professional. And, and you need to know in your state is if you want it to be a workers' comp claim, if you believe it should be. In some states, like Texas, you can choose your own doctor. In some states, you cannot. Like Louisiana, where I'm also licensed, you don't get to choose your own doctor. You have to find a doctor that's qualified for the, in, within the workers' comp system. You can ask your department about that, or you can just call the state. Uh, there's a, Every state has a workers' comp division. Because it's a state issue, it's not a federal issue. So every state has a workers' compensation department because employers pay into workers' compensation. Um, <clears throat> and if you're facing PTSD, my guess would be that you also are facing physical ailments because PTSD will, the mind-body connection, you, everybody knows this, will manifest in physical forms. So it's not just depression, anxiety. Um, it, it, turns, it can result in things like hypertension. Hypertension is usually covered as a first responder job-related illness, whereas hypertension is not an on-the-job illness for civilians. So don't just stop there. If your state hasn't extended PTSD as a, a job-related industry for first responders in your state, I'd be willing to bet there's another, there are physical manifestations of that that you could get that are covered. And also, uh, <clears throat> it's worth talking with a workers' comp attorney in your state if you need help with that reach, call me. I can help you find somebody. Um, but like I said, I like finding the culturally competent professionals. Also some, I mean, I have attorneys in Texas who will send me employment related matters just because it's for um, law enforcement because they just don't understand the world. And sometimes law enforcement officers can be a little know-it-all and difficult. And no, I'm used to that. So they can call me and I'm like, look, you can listen to me or not. Here's what you got to do. And I'm fine with that. So <clears throat> definitely if you feel like you're getting roadblocks on something in your state, book a call with me. I can help in 15 minutes. I can say, nah, you can't do anything about that. You just have a jerk boss. Or I can say, yes, you should take this further. Let me help you either myself or connect you with somebody in your state that can. Yeah. Thank you. And to everybody who is listening, I want to say one last thing before we end here. And it's very, very important. I have worked with so many clients and I have people up until as recent as last week, reaching out to me regarding the possibility of some form of um, legal implications that they all of the sudden became involved in. Bridget is one of the most friendly professionals in this industry that I have ever met. So I thank you for that. Uh -huh. And I'm sharing that with you because I want everybody to go and friend her, follow her on Instagram, drop her a message just to say, hi, great interview this morning, build a single link with her because if the possibly inevitable happens to you one day and you find yourself in that stressful situation, I do not ever want any of us, there's absolutely no excuse for any of us to ever feel like we don't have somebody that we can turn to. And mm -hmm. I, I know that that is usually one of the hardest things is bam, there's some information. There's something I wasn't expecting. Now I need to get an attorney. Who do I call? What do I do? Where do I go to? That question should already be answered for you. So please drop her a message, go to her account, lady, or I'm sorry, her website, ladylawshield.com. And um, just make that single first connection with her. And you can say where you're from, you watch this interview, whatever it is, just have that link 
so that when that time comes, you already know that you have somebody. And if for some reason you forget, then you can ask me and I will link you guys up. So thank you to everybody who has listened. If you have any more questions, drop them down below. Bridget, thank you so, so much for all of your advice, your wisdom, and um, just the value that you came to, to give to us this morning. Well, you're welcome. And thank you. And thanks for all the great questions, everybody. I love it. Uh, you can, like I said, you can always shoot those to me and, and um, yeah, sign up for the emails too. Cause I give, I send out a lot of free tips and, and legal advice all the time. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Bye everybody.